Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home, the podcast dedicated to helping pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy in their day-to-day lives. I'm joined today by Rachel Finney, the CEO of Columbus Humane. Thanks so much for coming today, Rachel. My pleasure. I'm grateful to be with you. I asked you to come today because I saw a presentation you did. Actually, I saw two presentations you did at the Great Lakes Animal Welfare Conference, I guess, last fall. And you were talking about perspective. And I thought it was a really important topic for us to be thinking about. So can you tell us a little bit about what makes you feel that having perspective is an important topic for people to think about? Well, you know, our lives are complex, and we tend to recognize that when we think about ourselves. We tend to simplify the experiences of others, make it really kind of easy to understand what they're going through, but we're very complex. And I find that oftentimes working through really challenging circumstances, it's helpful to remember that there's more than one way to look at things, and that pretty much everything is complex, which means there's multiple angles from which we can view any challenge that we're experiencing. So it's kind of my mantra to make sure that we're looking at any situation, um, any interaction, any challenge that we have in more than one way. How do you make sure you do that? What I find often is that it's really easy for us to start with looking at any circumstance and the disadvantages that they hold for us. It's that negativity bias. Right. We're programmed to survive. And so we look at any threat against us and all the bad things that might kill us or take us down. Uh, and that's what we focus on. Evolutionary perspective says that we should pay attention to the things that are a threat or could be potentially harmful yes. to us. Uh, so that's our default setting. And uh, what I find is that if we are experiencing some negativity in our life, something that's distracting, something that is a huge weight or a burden, that we can be really well served by looking at that circumstance from multiple angles and trying to extract all of the advantages that we can gain from an experience. Because anything that we go through, we grow through, Mm -hmm. period. There isn't any interaction that we have, even if it seems overwhelmingly bad, that doesn't leave us stronger, better, wiser, or more well-equipped to handle what comes next. I learned that when my husband had cancer about 10 years ago on, on two levels, that we came through it, our relationship came through it stronger and better at the end of his treatment. But I also really learned the the idea of perspective, because he saw so many of the situations entirely differently than I did right there in the moment where I thought like, we are sharing this experience. And then we would come out of a a situation and I was like, that was awful. And he was like, that was not bad. (laughs) Wow. And to, to be aware that it was a common occurrence made me start looking at so many pieces of my life from a different perspective of like, well, how would he have thought of that? How would he have thought of that? And I was surprised it took me too so long to realize how very differently he might be perceiving things. And he was the patient in these cases than I was. You know, when we're going through a really difficult time and your husband's cancer is a really good example of that, it gives us the opportunity to narrow our focus because there is this big looming massive threat or challenge that we're facing. And we begin to understand what is important and what needs our time and attention and focus and what simply is not important. And so a lot of times I think for my team, and, and this is true when we, when we, you know, I talk to audiences about challenges that 
if you've got a big cruelty case or perhaps a, a community disaster, a natural disaster, everybody comes together and they can rally because there is a unified sense of purpose and clarity mm-hmm. about what is important. And we're not having side chit chat or distraction. We're not gossiping. We're all really focused, sleeves rolled up, getting done what we need to get done. And that's often when we perform best as a team. So those times of darkness really create clarity and light around the things that are important. So with your husband feeling the way that he was feeling, he can filter out all of the distractions of things that aren't important. And that does give you that really unique perspective can give you such a lift in life. It really can. And I think that that can be a challenge in the workplace sometimes because we come together as a team and we get things done and that's awesome. But in times when there isn't that sense of urgency or it feels like things haven't changed, it's a chronic situation, then we start fracturing that time and attention. But also the, the sense of purpose starts dissipating and then we don't remember to take in all the other perspectives as, as other people's ch- perspectives are changing and evolving. Yeah, there's an example that I give in my talks, and um, the shape that's on this screen is essentially a six or a nine on its side. And uh, we talk about how coming from one perspective, a person might see the number six, and it's clear as day, and they learned their numbers at a very early age, and they're very certain what they're seeing is a six. And we stop for just a moment and say, okay, well, what happens if we were standing in this spot? And it would very clearly be a nine to a person from this perspective. And they learned that number at a very early age, and they're very certain about what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. It's that moment to reflect on, is there something that you're looking at in your life or in your workplace that feels awfully like a six, and you're really sure of it? It's a good moment to say, hmm, someone might be looking at this very same circumstance and seeing a nine very clearly and think that I'm not very bright because I also don't see a nine. I know that's a little bit of a challenging visual to conjure if you're uh, listening in a podcast or looking at a video without the example. But I think it so often happens that we're 100% certain and sure, and we can't believe that someone doesn't see it from the same angle. But we have to remember that everyone's standing in a little bit of a different place. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to remember that because we do so easily simplify what we believe other people are thinking and feeling. Whereas again, we're seeing ourselves as complex and having all of the thoughts that are going through our heads. And it's not even a better than worse than thing. It's not like, oh, my life is complex and yours is simple. It's just that we can't attend to all the details of everyone else's minds and lives that, that our brains have to sort of simplify things down to make it easier for us to comprehend the world. But then we don't have that bandwidth sometimes to realize people might have a very, very different perspective. Sometimes in coaching calls, one of the things we'll do is we'll do a perspective exercise where we'll choose a number of people from your life. And then what would that person say about this? So what would your mother say about this? What would your best friend say about this? What would the worst boss you ever have had said say about this? What would your nosy next door neighbor say about this? And these are people who have very different perspectives, but also you have a very different emotional reaction to them and they have different baggage that they'll bring to it. And just by imagining what these other people would say, it automatically broadens the person's 
view of how this could be interpreted, you know, because your mother might be Susie Sunshine who says, well, the good news here is, um, and you're like, oh, or your mother might be the the warrior who always wants to keep you safe and says, well, maybe you shouldn't do that because you can identify all the things your mother would worry about in this case. But it's a, a pretty simple tool for for being able to perceive perspective, but it's not a natural state for us because we just kind of come up with an answer that makes sense in our heads and then we roll with that and and there we are. So what got you so passionately interested in the subject of perspective? I was in a workshop years ago and I'm embarrassed to say I can't even really remember the context of it, but I know I was in a workshop and the speaker had asked all the participants to reflect on something that they encountered in their life they really regret. And we should spend some time writing down a regret that we have. And I felt fully engaged in the speaker and the conversation, the topic. And I sat there and I was completely stumped. And I thought, wait, I must regret something. I regret something. I've made lots of mistakes in my life and surely I regret one of them. And I could not come up with a single thing that I regretted. And that's, again, to emphasize, I've made plenty of mistakes. Things did not always work out the way that I wanted them to. I suffered losses, great challenges. Something that I regret was a, it was just such a stump for me. I, I couldn't figure it out. And it occurred to me through a long process of reflecting about that activity and my inability to come up with something I regret, that it was a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. That the reason that I didn't regret any of the bad things that had happened to me or decisions that I made or mistakes that I made was because I wound up taking so much good away from even the worst, mm-hmm. the hardest, the most difficult, the gut-wrenching, or the really massive mistakes that I've made. I've come away stronger, better, wiser, kinder, more compassionate, more patient, more empathetic, and it just occurred to me, really, that it's all in how you look at it. Yeah. And if we have this choice to consider what, what angle we're going to come at a challenge from, and we look at it with the intention of finding some good, some advantage that we've gained as a result of this really tough circumstance, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it won't have been in vain. We won't have lost that loved one or met that challenge or made the mistake that we did with no benefit. Uh, that something good can come from literally anything, and often does. Mm-hmm. So I, this, that was part of my journey is just really discovering my thoughts on regret or failure. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a, the same speaker, you know, think of something that you just really failed at. And I know that we're in a, a time, which I think is actually really cool, in our culture where we're considering the benefits of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I still struggle with that word because I often find that results aren't what I expected them to be or what I wanted them to be, that I don't consider it a failure. I just mostly consider that I'm not done yet. So you could look at that individual episode, that one element of it, that it did not work. And so lots of people would say, oh, failure, start again. And I kind of just say like, well, here's where we are in the journey and we still have a ways to go to get there. And I I guess more than anything in that reflection, it occurred to me that some of my thinking was a little unique, that a lot of people are not coming at it from that perspective. And it occurred to me that perhaps some of that unique thinking is what helps me in the challenges that I've faced and what makes me a little bit more resilient. And I have, you know, I'm a CEO of of a larger humane society and 
it's not easy work. The work that we do is challenging. The the things that we see on a day-to-day basis can be really daunting, uh, overwhelming, sad, scary, depressing, all of the above. And yet I find that my work is really rewarding and I see a lot of really wonderful things happening for the animals and the people around me and I choose to focus on that. And the reason I developed the talks was to just help share that type of methodology that has been so helpful to me in overcoming challenges and sometimes just meeting challenges, not necessarily conquering them, but just being in the space and being okay uh, with the challenge. And wanting to share and to help so that other people could benefit from it. I think individual challenges that we face in our lives or in our work in being pet professionals, it could be completely overwhelming yes. and it can swallow us whole. Mm-hmm. Or it could be really rewarding, really meaningful. And while we acknowledge that it's challenging and difficult, we can still survive it we have the right perspective. And and I think that is the number one biggest factor in whatever successes I've had. And so I try to share that with as many people as I can. I think it's applicable regardless of the job that you do or the interpersonal relationship challenges that you have or the health or the relationship challenges that you have. It is the single biggest factor to getting through it and getting through it well. It really is because it takes in the gratitude perspective, which does rewire your brain, but also the growth mindset of that there is something that can change in this situation. I can learn from it. I can benefit from it. I can, you know, get skills that I can use in the future moving forward. There there will be something here. So you're actively seeking it and looking for what that piece is. And sometimes when people hear about this, they dismiss it as sort of fanciful thinking or that toxic positivity, you know, that just like, just put a smile on. And, and that doesn't work. It's not just like saying, oh, everything's fine. Fine. It's all good. There's good stuff here. It's really acknowledging that there's something very difficult going on, but it's not the only thing that within the difficult moment, there are things of value. So can you think of a a time at Columbus Humane where it was very difficult, but there was something good that you were able to see even within that? Oh, I mean, I can think of so many examples of challenges. In 2016, we had a, a sprinkler pipe burst and flood our building and destroy about a third of it. And it was a really difficult time really difficult time for us. And yet we were able to rebuild. We were able to talk to our community about the sincere needs that we had and how we could um, come out of it with a a better hospital, which was an area that was destroyed by the flood. And, And it gave us an opportunity to rally as a team and work together and have a unified sort of purpose. And so there were so many good things that came out of a flood, but would I wish a flood on someone? I absolutely would not, (laughs) Um, you know, but it was a rallying moment and our organization, our building, our animals, our programming all came out much, much stronger for having had that flood. And it's just one of literally thousands of examples where we have benefited from a struggle or a, a challenge that we've faced. You mentioned before kind of Pollyanna sunshine. I I can't remember the term that you used, but I like to think of that person that kind of blows sunshine and rainbows at you and it feels inauthentic and it feels forced and 
I don't think that's helpful at all, actually. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the the best way I can relate it is um, light pollution. I think often we do really need darkness Mm -hmm. to see the stars. So if you want a great stargazing experience, if you really want to see those light points in your life, you sometimes need contrast. You need darkness to see the light. And for that reason, I don't think just saying to somebody, oh, it could have been worse, or just think, (laughs) just look at the bright side. Now you, you know, now you're going to get a new sprinkler system. (laughs) Just, mm, no, that doesn't feel great. I think we really have to acknowledge the challenges that we're facing, you know, call out the darkness for what it is. It's darkness, but also recognize that you can see the stars as a result. And uh, light pollution is not going to bring clarity. It doesn't make the situation better. It just covers it up. So I'm a a big proponent of really recognizing what you're feeling, assigning a name to the emotion that you're feeling, going deep, feeling what you're feeling is accurate, it's valid, it's true. Don't stuff that down, but acknowledge that you can also take other feelings or experiences from that same time period, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's... I'm feeling really sad that I lost a friend or a loved one to illness. And that's, you don't want to have someone come and say, yeah, but they lived a great life. Well, but I'm still really sad. And and trying to discount that sadness that I'm feeling is not going to remedy the situation. I can say from having had that experience that I really cherish the friendships that I have. I understand Mm -hmm. they're not permanent and going to stay forever. And I might not see this person again when we say goodbye. So I'm going to be genuine in my interactions. I'm going to really value that relationship that we have and the way that we talk with each other, the the, share, the feelings that we share. I'm going to reflect on all the reasons I'm grateful for the people in my life. And those are all positive things that I've taken away from having lost a loved one. Yes. You know? So it doesn't mean it's less sad that I lost a loved one. It's still horribly sad. I'm still impacted by that every day. And I've taken all of these good things out of that experience to move forward. I think there's tremendous value in leaning into the feelings and being able to identify them. Like you said, putting a name to it. Um, Actually, I had a friend who was doing something bold and a little bit scary yesterday. And so I texted her this morning and and asked her, you know, how have you felt in the last 24 hours? And let me see if I can pull it up here. It was really interesting. (laughs) Here's what I got. My my question was, I'm curious about the range of emotions you experienced in this last 24 hours of bravery. And she wrote back, confidence, doubt, excitement, anxiety, frustration, peace, agitation, anger, relief, sadness, disappointment, surprise. I loved it. I was like, oh, this is a woman who knows her feelings. She was able to really see. And that was a 24-hour period. You know, she was doing something brave and adventurous with her business and taking a risk. She was putting herself out there and it went well and not so well and a little bit scary and all of those things. But some of that is developing the somatic awareness, like really knowing what that feels like in your body. How can you tell what you're feeling? And then being able to put words to it and think about what what is causing that feeling and what you can do with it. So like you were saying about losing someone and making that making you feel sad, yeah, it should make you feel sad. But because you know that feeling, you also know 
the value of the connection with the people that you have with you. And so you lean into those joyful moments because you know that sad is the piece that you'll have when you lose them. And it's totally more valuable to have the positive, warm interaction now while we can. Won't change the sad. The sad's going to be there away. But you could have sad and disappointed if you lost them and you hadn't shown up as yourself and connected with them deeply. And this way, you don't get the disappointed. You just get the loss. You know, you're just like, I'm sad they're no longer with me, but they know they were loved and they know we connected and all of that. No regrets, sort of your thought there. Yeah. And I think one way that we can take something away from that experience is to say, and Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not, I'm sad that I lost him, but I'm grateful that we Mm -hmm. had that relationship because they sort of negate one another, don't they? It's saying, I'm really sad that I lost him. And I'm really grateful that I had him, you know, that I had the friendship that I did or that, you know, we had the relationship that we did. It's both. Right. It's both. And when we try to top one emotion with another emotion to stuff one down and elevate another, it just doesn't work, (laughs) you know? And if we're trying to force ourselves to think in one way, we get the angst and the burden and the worry and the tension that comes from forcing ourselves into a bucket. We just don't fit in. But if we can list like your friend did in that exchange with you, all of the things we're feeling, you go, oh, yeah. There's more than one way to look at this. There's more, more than one experience that I'm, you know, or emotion that I'm feeling. It, to me, it's about feeling whole. Mm-hmm. And you, in order to feel whole, you have to experience the full range of emotions. Right. You don't get to be all good or all bad emotion-wise. It, it's all good. It really is. And you need every bit of those experiences and emotions to make you whole. Yeah, I think that's really true. So, what do you think are the challenges that prevent people from having a broader perspective on life? That's a great question. I, I feel like arriving to the first answer and sticking with it is probably a challenge to accepting other perspectives. If we don't really fully explore the full range of emotions we feel, it's awfully difficult to imagine that there's emotions outside of what you're feeling or what someone else is thinking about that or what it could look like from a different angle. Uh, I think we, we, as a human species, we don't like any blanks whatsoever. We want to fill in the blanks with information quickly. <laughs> we want to rush to judgment. And once we've got an answer, that part of us is satisfied and we're ready to move on to the next thing. But it takes some deeper exploration for our own selves and what we're feeling, but to imagine what someone else is feeling, goodness, you know, that takes some curiosity, that takes some exploration to even consider what other angles might be. I also challenge people, you know, if they're looking at something that's celebratory, you know, something really happy that's happened, it's also worthwhile to stop and say, okay, how could, what's the downside of this? Yes. I don't think it only has to be you know, gosh, this is a terrible situation. What are what are some advantages or good things that we can take out of it? But if you're really blinded by some wonderful thing that's happened, it's also worthwhile to pause and say, okay, what could the downsides or the challenges that arise as the result of this be? It's worthwhile to look at, you know, 360 all the way around a situation to say, am, am I extracting all of the value, all of the information, all of the experiences that we can take from this? all the positives, all the negatives. Otherwise, we're, we're missing half of the experience often. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. And it's it's a fascinating thought experiment to play with. And the more you do it, the more you're able to access it sort of in real time when you're in the midst of a situation, being able to say, oh, here I am. I'm hooked by this first perspective that I came up with. And it feels like the one right and true way to look at this. And then you could say, so now I'm going to deliberately look at some other perspectives. But unless you take some time to play with it a little bit and be comfortable with that dance and saying, you know, here's this amazing thing, what's so not so great about it? And here's this not so great thing, what's good about it? You know, learning to dabble, if you will, in the emotions and seeing all of these nuances has it has a real impact on how you perceive things, but it also is such a valuable skill because it really helps you in the moments when you struggle or feel stuck or just like this isn't working and it's never, ever, ever going to work, which is what happens to us when we start getting into the downward spirals as we stop being able to think creatively because we get so narrowed in our focus that having that, that skill set can be a really valuable way of being able to shift out of it. So is that something that you work specifically with your team on developing? Are there any strategies you use to make sure that you're not the only person who has this gift? You know, I try to reinforce these messages with my team, both in times that are celebratory and times that are really challenging. Uh, You know, one good example in a day-to-day way that I use this is if I have a team member who's struggling with another team member, and they say, you know, we're just not seeing eye-to-eye, I I need to coach or counsel them to change their behavior, you know, these are things that I'm struggling with, it's going to be a difficult conversation because I need to give critical feedback, what do I do? And I often say, you know, yes, there's a lot of angst around the conversation you're about to have, but just imagine how much you're going to grow as a result of this experience. You're projecting that it's going to be all bad. It's going to be all, all hard or difficult to have this conversation. And yet, having done it, you're going to be much better prepared for the next one. It's going to become easier. You're strengthening your skills. And imagine what good things we can take away from this difficult situation. And just getting people to pause and consider or making a quick list of how we could grow or become stronger, better, wiser, more compassionate, caring people, it, it kind of says, okay, I think I can do this, or it's not going to be all bad. There are going to be some good things that come from this. It kind of creates a little bit more strength in going into something that can yeah. be challenging. And then a lot of times, especially when we talk about having a difficult conversation, often in our head, it's far worse. And when we do it, it's like, oh, it wasn't actually that bad. And yeah, oh, I learned these things and I had no idea she felt that way. And now we have a plan where we can move forward. And and then they're going to be so much more likely to be willing to have that conversation or give that feedback moving, you know, into the next step of the journey. So on a day-to-day basis, I like to say, you know, I see you're pretty married to this way of thinking or this idea. (laughs) Uh, If you had to also think of it a different way, what would it look like? There's an exercise called alternative realities. Are you familiar with that, Kelly? I think I am, um, but clue me in and I will, I'll catch up as we go along. So imagine any kind of circumstance that you're pretty certain of. A difficult relationship with, say, a coworker or a peer. And you're really very certain that this person's out to get you or they are not cooperative and they're just being difficult and 
you know, whatever that circumstance is, but you're having a tough time, taking a moment to reflect on what it would look like if it were different, if the reality was very different, that that person was actually very supportive of you, that they were trying to help you be successful, what would that person's actions look like? What were the kind of words that they would say if they really felt this way? And then going through an exercise for the next period of time, whether that's the next day, the next week, and writing down every single piece of evidence of the alternate reality. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if, if I've created the alternate reality that we work really well together, that we support one another, in the next day or week, I write down every single bit of evidence that the opposite is true, that they are very supportive. Right. There's usually actually a pretty extensive list that would support this alternate reality. And then you can think, gosh, maybe I was looking for evidence to support that she's difficult to work with and not supportive and really, really difficult. When in, in fact, when I'm looking for evidence of the opposite, I, I also find that. Mm-hmm. Which is really valuable thing because, again, with the negativity bias and our ability to ascribe meaning that may or may not be accurate, but just what we do, we make up stories to go with what we've seen, we are far more likely to make up a story that says this person isn't on my team or isn't trying to help me. And when we have to stop and, and write that out, I have I have had that tool I've I've heard about that tool, but I haven't heard it with the specific perspective of actually writing down the future pieces of evidence that support it. And I like that idea because it does force you to see, first off, the work that they are doing. I don't think there are very many people in the world, I certainly haven't met any, who wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go be disruptive and awful all day at work to everyone. Instead, they're responding to what they're perceiving is going on and and trying to support the mission as they see it. And sometimes we don't always see it the same. There is that. Or we get our silos between departments. You know, this department doesn't understand this part is important to us. But it's never that I my ultimate goal is to just make life hard for everyone. And sometimes we talk about colleagues as if that's how they're waking up and showing up, you know, like it just can't get her to be, you know, appropriate or whatever we want. Right. Yeah. She's trying to be difficult. She's trying to be disruptive. She wants to sabotage our plans. Every time we are actively looking to support our argument or our position, our perspective, that's what we see. That's what we find. Mm -hmm. it's, it's abundant everywhere. I'm just proof that they're terrible people. But if we really, you know, choose to put on a different hat, a different set of glasses, see it from a different direction and actively make a list of all the things that support this very different view, we can almost always find examples of it. And I think that has, that particular activity has been so helpful to me because it's a reminder that there is a path to thinking differently. And if I have a choice about how I'm feeling about the circumstance, why would I not choose to see the good things too? Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it gives you a way of doing it. So it's a helpful tool for that because it gives you the framework as opposed to someone just saying, well, look for the good side, find something that <laughs> there's a specificity to this. What, what do you think that she would do if she was being supportive of you? What do you think she would say if she was being supportive of you? Now go look for evidence that, that even a little bit fits within that category there's such lovely specificity to that, that it gives someone 
a job. It gives your brain something to be looking for and focusing on and starting to notice and track. And and we are very much affected by what our brains are looking for. And our brains are wired to look for the bad. <laughs> so turning it around yeah. this way is a really helpful too. I like that one. Yeah, it's like a little a little light goes off every time we see something that supports, you know, our expectations of a person or how they'll behave. We're like, oh, yep, she did again. See, proof. Ah, yep, look right there. More mm-hmm. of it. So if we're looking for something better, we're probably going to see that too. Uh, you know, there's a Abraham Lincoln quote that we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. It is the exact same thing. Yes. And it's a choice about which way we want to look at that. Mm-hmm. You can see it both ways. So make a choice about the way that you're going to look at it. Not because you shouldn't think negative thoughts or see a disadvantage. There's a real evolutionary positive to thinking negatively. You should still see it. And you should also see the other side. Right. So having a a strategy for how you're going to deal with the thorns while still appreciating the roses doesn't doesn't hurt either side. Whereas if you're just complaining that rose bushes have thorns, that doesn't help. So yeah, going in with a game plan. That's that's the way to do it. So this has been so fun talking to you about this. If people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? You can visit our website, ColumbusHumane.org. We'd love to interact with professionals around the country. So you can send us an email, connect with us. We'd love to talk with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm really glad you came on Unleashed today. Thanks for having me. Are you a member of the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals? I hope you are. It's our Facebook group where you can find support, encouragement, and connection. If you're not a member, come on over and join us. We're waiting for you.